this week I went down to the pottery room. Now, some of you may not know that the church has a pottery room. Yes, the church has a pottery room where at one time people used it as a studio for doing pottery. Now, it is more rightly the mechanical room where there are all of the electrical panels and the HVAC equipment, but there are also two pottery wheels that are still there from when in the 70s and 80s it was used as a pottery studio. So I went down to the pottery room to look at it and see what was there and there are a number of bags still of clay and it, some of the clay is, is hard, of course you would think that these are just broken pieces of clay and chunks of gray clay, but there are some bags that are still in powder form. There's a beautiful deep yellow powder just waiting for someone to mix it. And there's a beautiful white powder clay and more chunks of red clay that have gone dry and as I'm digging around in the pottery room, there was a, a green, there is a green garbage bin, you know, one of those garbage cans, plastic, and on top flower pots, and uh, anyway, I took the flower pots off, I took another big plastic bag of chunks of dried clay, and on the top it said, use porcelain. So I opened it up, and there's more chunks of clay. <laughs> but then, wrapped up inside of two big, or two strong plastic bags, I, I could have sworn that the clay felt soft. So I opened him up, and sure enough, at least 20 years, this clay has been in that bucket. And I poked at it, and even pinched a piece off of it, and the clay can still be molded. It's flexible, malleable. The clay is still wet. So my trip down to the pottery room was nothing like Jeremiah's trip down to the potter's house. Jeremiah had a terrible job. The nation was a mess. It was on the verge of disaster. And it was largely because of the policies that the nation had followed. They were on the brink of being conquered by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and Jeremiah was called by God to warn the people to turn around. And we hear these very frightening words that God is planning disaster. And it goes back to all of the terrible theology that someone would say the earthquake in Italy was God's disaster. Or the hurricane that is coming is a disaster that God has made upon the United States for whatever sins. I want you to know that at Jeremiah's time, they did conceive of God 
in this way. But we do not. God does not plan disaster or illness against anyone. But there is an unrelenting force of love that seeks for us to be whole and healthy and just. And that force of love can be hard and can push us and can seek to change us. Now at the potter's house, Jeremiah hears God warning the people to stop treating the nation's people poorly. God cares about how we treat our bodies, our relationships, our fellow human beings, and God says, choose the ways of justice, choose the ways of health and well-being. Not everything we have a choice about. So it's more like the meteorologists who warn us that there's a hurricane coming and we have a choice to get out of the way or to board up our windows or not. But that is our choice. God says to Jeremiah, you have a choice in this. I will remake you. I will reshape you. I will help you be whole, but I will not force you. That has to be your choice. God will not violate our freedom. God will warn and threaten and plead. This verse 11, when you go to the Hebrew, this verse 11, this last verse, is more rightly, more faithfully translated as, and now I say to you, please, please, behold, I am forming evil against you. Turn back, please. Make your ways and your doings good. There is time. Good is possible. The clay is still wet. Verse 12, that is not part of our lectionary, the people of Israel come back to God and say, no. It's too late. We're not going to do it. We will follow the evil imaginings that are in our hearts. And the word about this is that God gives us hope. The clay is still wet. The clay is malleable. The clay can be formed. It can be shaped. The first problem of humanity is hopelessness. But if we are Syria... The idea that there's hope, that God can take something so ruined and bring it back, is hope for our families, for ourselves. There is hope. There is tremendous hope. 
Listen to the words of the psalm. We are clay. We are the dust of the earth. God took the dust when God was making humanity, each one of us. And God breathed God's own spirit into that. And so we are the stuff, the material world infused with the imagination and the creativity of God. And when God made creation, God looked at it all and God said, it is good. It is very good. We are made for goodness. We are made by God for that which is good and God will beg and plead that we own the goodness and the possibility and the future that is in us. There's a story that struck me this week as I'm getting ready in the morning. So often I hear these great stories on the radio, and then I go back and I try and find them, and I tell you, Sometimes NPR makes it incredibly difficult to find those stories that you're like, oh, that's a fabulous story. But I found one that I had heard during the week, and it is a story about lives that were absolutely ruined. There's a plan in Great Britain, a vote, a bill coming forward, to make restorative justice available to all who want it. Now, the goal of restorative justice is beyond punishment and just locking people up. It really is about finding ways for ruined lives to be made whole. And a couple named the Donovans had two sons who were brutally attacked by gang members, and one of the sons died. They were boys who did this, ages 15, 16, one was 19, and all of those lives were ruined. The boys were convicted of murder and went to prison, and the parents, Ray and Vi Donovan, were overwhelmed with anger and rage and grief and wanted revenge. But two years later, one of the boys in prison asked his family if he wouldn't reach out to the parents of the boy he killed. And the parents of the boy in prison said he cries every night and has nightmares. And we might think, well, that's the way it is. Ray and Vi met with one of those boys' moms, and they sat with her for about three hours and just talked. And after that, they decided to meet one of the boys. And it didn't work out. 
the authorities didn't know how to do it. It took 10 years for them to meet these now men. And they did it because they were hoping for answers. They wanted real answers, not just something that you hear in a courtroom. They wanted to know why they did that. Was there something that their sons did? They wanted to know what was going on and have some honest truth of it. What they, were they hoping for beyond that? And so they finally got their meeting, and the way it happens is there's a specific time. And you come at 1 o'clock, the prisoner comes in at 1.30, and that's the window. And Ray and Vi sat in the car in the parking lot and looked at each other and said, what are we doing? Are we really going to do this? They went in and they sat in a chair and the door opened at 1.30 and there was a man there standing in a suit and tie and Ray did put out his hand for a polite shake and the man fell into his arms sobbing, hugging, clinging to him saying over and over and over, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they stood like that for a while, and then he went over to Vi, and at this point Vi said, well, what are you going to do? And he hugged her, and they cried, and they cried, and they talked, and it was, about four hours. Did Ray and Vi get the answers that they needed? The boys said, we don't know why we did it. We were drunk. We'd been partying and using drugs all that evening. There was no reason. Your sons were just there. They didn't do anything wrong. As it worked out, Ray and Vi said they got peace. And they were able to let go of some of their rage. They felt like they had been given control back of the process. They even came to a place where they could forgive, not so much to free the men, but because they needed to be free. And in this way, love, that, that man who reached out in prison, who said some kind of hope to be able to just say, I'm sorry. And for these parents to say some kind of hope that something can ease the pain here. One of the men is out of prison and is an art curator. The other man works in construction. I couldn't find out what happened to the third. And Ray and Vi have gone on to advocate for restorative justice. 
They say, of course it's not right for everybody. And there are great risks. But you can always write a letter. Even in the most terrible of circumstances, there is hope that change is possible. Healing can happen. There are a lot of things over which we don't have a choice. There's nothing that we can do that can stop the hurricane from coming to our home or the fire out in California or maybe the disease that overtakes us. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is all about God working in our lives in the most profound ways to bring about wholeness. no matter what. As my mother likes to say, it's okay, Molly. God isn't finished with you yet. Hope in the Lord, my friends. The clay is still wet. Amen. Amen.